from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. After rolling through regionals unfazed and unblemished on the scoreboard, the Florida softball team is just one step away from a return to the Women's College World Series. Only one team stands in their way, and it happens to be the Georgia Bulldogs. The two-time defending national champs are hosting the Bulldogs in Super Regionals, and we'll get set for the matchup by talking to All-SEC slugger Kaylee Kavistat. Also, we'll look at Gator Baseball entering the postseason with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter and Gator Vision show Gunath talks about the road to Rio with former Gator swimmer and Olympic medalist Elizabeth Beisel. But first, when the brackets were unveiled for the NCAA softball tournament, the potential for a Florida-Georgia Super Regional was king of the water cooler discussion. After claiming their 10th straight regional shutout in the final game against UCF on Sunday, that all-SEC Super Regional became a reality. We asked sophomore Kaylee Kavistad what the reaction was like when they realized their rivals were next up on the docket. My reaction at first was SEC. We're playing an SEC team, but we didn't play them in regular season, so I'm really excited to play them. They're a great team, and I'm just looking forward to coming together and doing our best. When you go through regionals, it's such a challenge to prepare. You know there's three possible teams, and Coach Walton talked about the way that you work through all three of them potentially going through the week. How challenging was that? And then maybe you prepare for FAU and you don't even end up seeing them in the whole tournament. Right. It's different. You just have to prepare for each game. And we knew that we had Alabama State the first game. So we um, looked at their scouting and just really focusing on what we do instead of kind of what other teams do. And whoever they threw at us, we knew we just had to come together and play our best um, no matter who it was. You saw UCF twice in the regional and you shut them out both times. How is the familiarity with the Knights helpful in trying to get through that regional? It's very helpful. I know we played them in a midweek before we went to Ole Miss during the season. So just having that background and kind of knowing what they had, and of course they knew what we had too just from playing that one game. So that kind of helped us in the long run just to see what they had. Brick by brick was the theme of this year. Talk about what that means and how that's sort of influenced the way you guys have gone through the season. The senior class actually thought of the brick by brick, and it was just bringing what everyone has to the team. And we were kind of playing for the name on the front instead of the name on the back and not worrying about who we are but who we are as a team. And I really like how that's helped us throughout the season, just building brick by brick, going game by game, and just really focusing on what the positives that everyone brings to the team. You came into this program after it already won a national championship and then got to be a part of that second one. What's it like coming into a team that's in the middle of a championship run like that and knowing you have such a high standard to uphold? It's very exciting. Um, just seeing them, how excited they were about winning the first one, it just made me want to work harder and be more dedicated to winning the second one. And once we won the second one, now it's just exciting for the freshman class because I know that how I felt last year, just wanting that so much more, just seeing everyone so happy, I don't know, it's just so exciting. You came out of a relatively small high school, and then right off the bat you're playing in the SEC. What was the adjustment like trying to get your game speed up to this level? It was definitely a challenge my freshman year. I think everyone's freshman year is a little bit challenging just because SEC is so 
great and they have such great pitchers. So coming from high school to college, it was an adjustment, but it was a very exciting adjustment. The upperclassmen helped me a lot with learning kind of how it works and the role that it takes to come from such a small school to such a big school. And it's just really exciting learning how to cope with that. And it's definitely a challenge, but coming into my sophomore year, just the change from freshman year is just exciting because you know what to expect, you know how it works, and you're just really excited to come play on the field. What was the change from freshman to sophomore year? Because last year you hit about 240. Mm -hmm. This year you're around 400, possibly going to be an All-American. What's the difference from year one to year two? I think just the experience, playing the different teams, and just learning how it works. I think you just need a year under your belt just to um, get the hang of things and learn how everything works here in the SEC. You mentioned the upperclassmen and and the impact they had on you. Which ones in particular do you feel like were really helpful to you in in your journey? Last year, Lauren Hager helped me a lot. She was just, she was kind of the leader on the team, and you could see the excitement that she brought to the table. And then this year, our senior class is awesome. They've helped our freshmen this year, and they've helped us as sophomores even now, keeping the program how it's run. And it's just exciting to see, like, how people change from the freshman year to senior year, and I can't wait. You're one of just eight SEC softball players named an academic all-district team honoree. What does it mean to you to be able to do that both in the classroom and on the field? Well, that's the thing that my parents taught me when I was real little, even though playing travel ball every single weekend, just to keep on top of my studies. And it's really important to me to get a degree and continue my education because that's what's going to carry me through life. Um, Softball is here from when you're six to around when you're 22, but academics is really what's going to take you through life. So I just really work hard with my time management off the field and on the field. So you have an interesting role on the team. For the most part, you are the designated player, so you only go up there and hit and you're not playing out in the field. What are you doing for the rest of the game, and, and how do you stay engaged when you're not playing on both sides? I just really work hard on cheering on my teammates that are in the field, and my role this year is to be the DH. And, yeah, it's challenging, but at the same time, you're still watching every pitch that our pitcher is throwing, whether it's Lee Lee, Delaney, or Kelly. You're just really engaged in the game and trying to pick up little things that the hitters are doing or whatever it may be, if it's taking water out to them, just whatever it is, just really embracing your role. I think it's a big thing that you have to do. Your pitching staff has been unbelievable this year, setting records seemingly left and right. What's it like watching them work? I appreciate it so much. I know I couldn't do it. They just really work well off of each other. If Delaney's having a bad day, Lily's here to pick her up. And there's always someone in relief, and they know that, and they work very well together, just meshing in the areas that maybe they're not the best in, others are, the strengths and weaknesses. And it's just exciting to see them come together. In the fall, there's a lot of inner squads that take place. You're facing those pitchers all the time. Which one's the toughest matchup for you to face? To me, it would be Delaney. She's actually my roommate, too, so it's kind of exciting to, during the fall, just to hit off of her. And we kind of have this thing. I think I it's just a lefty matchup. I don't know. But she's definitely one of the ones I struggle with the most during the fall. And just when I think I got a base hit or something during the fall, I was like, oh, my first base hit off you. <laughs> so it's just kind of exciting just to see what the pitchers can bring to you. And they really do help us out in the fall. You guys ended up on national television this week in two ways. First, the game itself, and then Kelsey Stewart taking home on a bases-loaded walk. Is that something that was put in place in the fall? Where did that come from? Is that totally on her, or is that something the team has worked on? 
That's totally on her. Kelsey Stewart is very heads-up base runner. She's a very heads-up player just in general. She's always looking for ways to get better. Um, she's a great leader of this team. And just little things like that make you realize how great she really is. That's just a heads-up play by her. She noticed that the pitcher and the catcher weren't paying attention, and she just took the base. I think you can see that Taylor Fuller was a little surprised, too. Just She was so close to her, and that's just a heads-up play by her. She's great. There's going to be so much hype around this matchup starting Thursday night, so much attention What's it like being on the inside of that, knowing what's at stake, having the rivalry factor? There's just so much going into this. What's it feel like as you build up for that? I don't think it's much different than a regular SEC team. All the SEC teams are great matchups, and it's just like all over every weekend. It's just great competition. So this weekend I'm looking forward to what Georgia brings and the great competition. The baseball calendar always trails softball by about two weeks. So Kevin O'Sullivan's squad is just now heading to the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. After a tough end to the regular season at LSU, Florida's in the strange position of being the consensus number one team in the nation, but the fourth seed in their own conference tournament. Scott Carter says it's a testament to how strong the SEC has been this season. You know, you hear this talk all through the regular season that the SEC is probably the best conference in college baseball. I think the way the, the season played out and just the last weekend proves that. I mean, as you mentioned, Florida, the uh, predominant number one team all season uh, in basically about every poll that exists. I think there's six of them, more polls in college baseball than there are stars. <laughs> but basically, you know, Florida went out to LSU. They lost two of three. The Thursday night game, you know, you had Logan Short. Basically, his start got side swiped because of the weather. And then A.J. Puck the next day had an upset stomach. So they only got four and a third innings out of there two starters out there. Luckily for them, Alex Fado had a great effort on Sunday. They, they escaped with one win, but Mississippi State earned the top seed, and then South Carolina win the East by a game over the Gators, and then, of course, Texas A&M gets a third seed, a, a team that Florida swept in Gainesville during the regular season. So that puts the Gators at number four in the conference tournament. It is an unusual thing when you think about the season and the, the image of Florida and how well they play, but they finished 44-11, and won the school record for most regular season wins. They led the SEC in overall wins. So, you know, people, I don't think their view of Florida has really changed any just because they didn't win the uh, SEC regular season title. This team is built for the postseason because of that deep pitching and because of that great defense. But, you know, to win the SEC uh, tournament, Adam, it's going to take a lot. Yesterday, LSU coach Paul Benary said, basically, he looks at the SEC so deep now in this day and age that to win this tournament, it can be as hard as to win in Omaha. You look at uh, the number six seed, and this thing is Vanderbilt, uh, you know, who had a great season, their 2014 national champion. So it is going to be a difficult task up there. The Gators did win it in 2015, so they're the defending champions, and uh, they're going to have to... Uh, Put everything together like any team in a tournament setting, a double elimination tournament, come out on top. But I do believe that, you know, their chances are still very strong, but the competition is very tough. As fans hear this right now, Florida's going to be in the midst of this double elimination tournament. We don't know exactly where they're going to be by the time people hear this. But what overall do you think the Gators are going to be hoping to accomplish? What are the things they're really working on through this tournament going into the NCAAs? I asked Kevin O'Sullivan yesterday on a conference call specifically, you know, you guys did this last year. What does it take? What has to happen to win this thing because it is so competitive? They said great pitching and timely hitting. Florida's had the great pitching part of it most of the season. The timely hitting has come and gone, and they're going to have to get some guys in the lineup 
Tua start hitting. Pete Alonzo not having him in the lineup has hurt a little bit in the last week. You know, J.J. Schwartz, his power numbers are down. You've had guys contribute, like the two freshmen, uh, Deacon Lippett and Jonathan India. Both of those guys, I think, maybe have even surpassed expectations offensively some. But it's going to be guys like Mike Rivera, Buddy Reed. I mentioned Schwartz. Uh, and when Alonzo does come back, they're still hoping to get him back from regional. You know, it's going to take those guys to produce in key moments, as it always does in, in postseason baseball. And then looking at the pitching, you know, this team has the deepest staff in the country, and there's some hope that they'll have Jackson Coart back by maybe the Super Regional. Him and Alonzo are rejoining the team up in Hoover. Uh, Alonzo's been out with the uh, fractured hand, and Jackson Coart, a freshman pitcher who was really good during the regular season, he actually had a collapsed lung, and uh, but you know he's been working to regain his strength, so they like his chances of rejoining the team uh, during the postseason. So you know if they can get it all together, get everybody healthy, and just kind of do what they've done really most of the season. I mean, when you go 44 and 11, it tells you that there wasn't really any cold spells in there, but you you definitely have to put it together consistently to avoid cold spells in the postseason because you know every team they're going to play now is going to be you know right around their talent level. You always hope to have a reliable Friday night guy to throw out there, a number one starter. Florida's got that in Logan Shore, the SEC Pitcher of the Year, and a guy who is just the model of consistency. You know exactly what you're going to get, and he just keeps delivering. Yeah, he really does, Adam. Uh, what, 10-0 this season? Won his last 15 starts going back to last season. Until that resumption of the game that he started on Saturday, they were 18-0 and his last 18 starts. So he has been a model of consistency. And, you know, he's Florida's first SEC Pitcher of the Year, uh, you know, in 12 years since 2004. Justin Hoyman won the award. So, you know, people around the league, they know what Logan Shore is all about. He's done it for three years now. You know, from day one, really, shortly into his freshman season he earned that Friday night starters role and he never gave it up so the Gators love what they have in that number one starter spot and um, he's fun to watch you know as a baseball fan if you're just sitting there he's so efficient in the way he operates on the mound he kind of just goes right after hitters and players uh, behind him they love to play behind him because he he keeps them very engaged in the game and uh, you know he's just out there he's all business once he takes the mound and uh, he's been great in the postseason 5-0 with a 2.43 ERA in the postseason last year so we kind of know what he can do when it's this time uh, of year. Logan Shore has been super consistent, but A.J. Puck has kind of been the opposite of that. Sometimes the guy is brilliant, and sometimes he, he lacks that killer instinct out there on the mound. So what's to make of A.J. Puck here at this stage, who has so much talent, the presumptive number one overall pick in the draft, and yet still some question marks heading into the postseason? Well, Adam, I, I do think if in a month we're talking about Florida winning the national title in Omaha, I think they're going to have to have something along the way dominant from A.J. Puck. He has that ability every single time he takes the mound. And he's been pretty good this year, but he hasn't been great. They need him to be great at some point during the postseason here because Puck can just dominate a game like few can and just let a team relax a little bit behind him. And he hasn't really been able to put that kind of performance together. His last outing against LSU, uh, you know, he had some stomach problems. It resulted in just a two-inning outing. Uh, it was kind of a disappointing outing at that stage of the season. But, you know, you're going to see him early in the SEC tournament. And, uh, you know, the, the Skaters team obviously knows how important he is to what they want to accomplish. But you're right. He's going to have to go out there and be consistent, show some moxie in, in some situations that the postseason presents when the pressure does get turned up. It gets turned up on all these guys. And uh, A.J. Puck is a guy that has all the tools to be a star this time of year. And 
you know, that's certainly Florida would love to see him uh, kind of turn it on right here uh, coming up in June. So regardless of what happens in the SEC tournament, Florida is expected to be one of those top eight national seeds. And really, that's all that matters. It doesn't even matter where you are one through eight because the way it's done regionally. You get one of those top eight seeds, and you're in a really good position to get to Omaha. Yeah, I mean, that's what this regular season's for. That's why the 44 wins, the school record. I mean, I, I think no matter what happens in the SEC tournament, they're safe as a top eight seed nationally. Getting that top eight seed is so important because you you do get to be at home. Uh, we know about Florida being very good at home uh, this year. They were, uh, what, 29-4 and four at McKeithen Stadium. You know, like most teams, they feel comfortable at home. And it's it's a Florida team that, again, when you look at on paper, they have all the pieces they need. If you say, what's the key question mark for this team? To me, it's kind of why they haven't won this thing the last few years. They've been good enough on a couple of occasions, but you just have to have a couple of right bounces to go your way. You have to have everybody kind of producing at, at the right time, and that's how baseball teams win championships. I mean, you got to get a break here and there, but you got to have everybody producing. So that means the pitching has to be solid. you got to continue to play great defense like Florida has all year. You know, they had that one game at LSU that was very uncharacteristic where they had three errors, maybe one of the worst games of the year. Better to get it out of the way in the regular season than you know either in a regional or a, in Omaha. And then, of course, as we spoke earlier about, you got to have some timely hitting, and and what the Gators hope there, getting Alonzo back, having Buddy Reed, J.J. Schwartz, those guys just come up with some clutch hits like they did in the postseason last year until they really you know, got stifled against Virginia in that one game that kind of set them back. And once you get to Omaha, it's really important to kind of start it off with a win out there. It just kind of eases the pressure, and it sets you up in the bracket a lot better. It's always a challenge for athletes to prepare for the Olympics, given that you've got just one shot every four years to try to achieve glory. For those making a second or third trip to the Games, it's comforting to prepare the same way that got you to the top the first time. After winning silver and bronze medals in London in 2012, former Gator Elizabeth Beisel is back at Florida preparing for a run at gold, and she told Gator Vision Show Up Your Nath why Florida is such a special place to train. I am so excited with how I've been training. This entire group here, we have an amazing post-grad program. I mean, it's one of the best in the world. We have people already going to the Olympics from so many different countries, and it reminds you why you're doing it every single day. And they push you, and it's fun at the same time. You get to do it with your best friends. And I think that's the one thing that the University of Florida has that not any other school has is that post-grad program and being able to train with other Olympians. And it's, it's something that I'm really, really going to miss. What does that say about the University of Florida and the strength here? We are literally the Gator Nation. Like, we could have our own country at the Olympics. It's insane to think about that, but we are that good. And I think, you know, it's a true testament to Coach Troy and how he has really built this program around Olympic year swimming. Um, I think one of the reasons why I came here was because I knew that I was going to be able to train for the Olympics without it being a problem. Like, every Olympic year, that was going to be the focus. And it just goes to show, like, we have the strongest postgrad program in the country and maybe in the world. And it's awesome. It's so much fun. Sitting here today, how are you feeling heading into trials in a month? Um, excited, nervous, a lot of emotions. We still have a lot of work to put in, and we still have two more meets until trials come around. So hopefully those meets will boost even more confidence that I have and for the rest of the team. But um, 
you know, it's exciting. It's the time of the year where we get to taper and be rested and finally put all of that hard work to good use and see the results that we get. And it's it's exciting just to, you know, see all your friends and see other people's dreams come true. I think one of the coolest things to watch is watching somebody touch the wall and realize that they made the Olympic team. It's pure joy. And you don't really see that anywhere else. I, I mean, I haven't ever been in like the real work world. So I don't know if like maybe you can get a promotion or something. Like, yeah, no, it doesn't really happen. It's just... <laughs> It's the beauty of sport and the beauty of swimming, and I think that's something that you don't really see every day, and it's, it's awesome to just watch. You're no rookie to Olympic trials. What are those trials like for athletes? I think Olympic trials is the most nerve-wracking meet on the planet. Um, I've been to literally every single meet that there could be, world championships, the Olympics, nationals, NC2As, whatever, but nothing is as hard as the Olympic trials. Um, there's just so much on the line, and it's four years of work coming down to an eight-day meet. And you could be sick, you could be injured, whatever it is, nobody cares. If you're not ready those eight days, then you're not making the Olympics. And that's it's pretty dream-crushing to think about it, for sure. What's the most important thing you've taken away from the trials in the past? Probably just enjoying it and using that meet as your chance to show everybody all the work that you've done and put it to good use. I think when people go into the meet too nervous or having too high of expectations, they get caught up in, you know, all of the emotions of the meet. And I sort of just try to stay even keeled and tell myself that, okay, over the past four years, I've done all of this hard work. I'm not going to let it go to waste because I'm nervous or because it's the Olympic trials. I sort of just try to take it all in and give myself that opportunity to really show and prove to everybody, you know, what I can do. What is the feeling to be at trials you're in a race, you hit the wall, and you look up, and you see you're in the top two. By far the best feeling in the world. I 100% think I have never been as happy as I was the first time I made the Olympic team. It was back in 2008, so I was 15, so super young. A little unexpected, but, you know, I touched second, and it was a dream come true. It was everything that I've ever thought it would be and more, and I, I there's not really a way to describe it. It's just, it's really euphoric, and it's joy in its purest form. 2008, you mentioned it. You were only 15 years old. What were those Olympics like for you? I was just like a deer in headlights the entire time. You know, I had been on the national team for two years, so I sort of knew everybody there. Like, I, I wasn't awestruck by Michael Phelps or Natalie Coughlin. I was more awestruck by walking around the Olympic Village and seeing Usain Bolt or Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, like, all of these names that I watch on TV every single day and I'm at their caliber. And that, sort of, that was sort of something really hard for me to wrap my head around, but um, it was truly amazing. I, I'm so glad that I was able to have that experience because I think going once makes the second time so much easier. You, you know what to expect, you know the ropes, and it, it definitely made London a lot easier for me. What did you learn from the 2008 Olympics that prepared you for those 2012 games? I learned to just do what was right for me. I think in 2008, I was so worried about what everybody else was doing because, you know, you're at the Olympics, your first one, and you're like, well, all these people that have been to multiple Olympics, like, I should be doing what they're doing. And yes, that may be true, but at the same time, maybe not. Like, some things work for me, some things don't. And I was so caught up in what Ryan Lochte was doing, what Natalie Coggan was doing, that I didn't really take care of what I needed. And so in London, I was able to just 
focus on myself, do what I knew was right for me. And I mean, it worked out better. I came home with two medals instead of none. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, I think just not getting caught up in what everybody else is doing is the hardest thing to do, but it's also the best thing to do for yourself. You mentioned those two medals. What was the feeling like winning those? It was awesome. I hold the silver close to my heart just because that's my first one. But the bronze was almost cooler because I got it in the tuner back show and Missy had won. So an American had won and gotten third. And I was able to stand on the middle podium listening to our own national anthem. And, and that was something that it like gives me the chills thinking about it. It's just like so surreal. And, you know, you're doing it for something bigger than yourself. And it's your country. And you're like, oh, my goodness, like I'm standing up here for the United States of America. And it's an amazing feeling. What is it like being at the Olympics? And you're not only representing the United States of America, you're also representing Gator Nation. And you look around and see teammates from other countries, but you guys are still Gators. And just kind of take me through that and how special that is. It's so special. You see the other countries that don't have, you know, university ties, they'll only sit with their country. But then you get the University of Florida and we'll have a table with one country from every continent. Like it's, it's so cool. And you don't get that anywhere else. That just shows how deep we are, how incredible of a program the swimming is and the rest of our athletics. We have Christian Taylor, won Olympic gold in London. I mean, the list can go on obviously, but it's just like having those top tier athletes all coming from the same program. It's just, it's amazing. And it's a true testament to how the university of Florida could be a country at the Olympics. And it's just like, uh, nobody else is better than us. We are the best 100%. Now I know you still have to go through trials, but kind of looking ahead to Rio, you have the silver, you have the bronze. How hungry are you for that gold? Oh, super hungry. I think everybody, you know, wants that Olympic gold medal. And especially because I have one of the two other colors. It's like, well, I mean, I might as well make it like a trifecta, get the gold, silver, and the bronze. And you know, it's been my dream since I was a little kid watching the Olympics to not only go, but win an Olympic gold medal. And whether it happens or not, that's beside the point. Just getting there and putting it all out on the table and giving my best is sort of what's going to give me peace of mind, whether I get that Olympic gold or not, because I think whether I get it or not, if I am able to leave the Olympic Games knowing that I left no stones unturned, I did everything in my power to win that or to not win it, that's how it is. And that's how that's going to be my peace of mind, just knowing that I did everything I could. And, you know, obviously I want it. And that's going to do it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you never miss an episode. Don't forget to join us next Thursday as we'll keep you up to date on softball and take a look at Gator Baseball's NCAA regional feed. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at KSP Stadium. Thank you.